In God's word, please, let us turn to 1 Samuel chapter 2, the end of the psalm of exaltation that Hannah has uttered, verse 9 and 10. He will keep the feet of his saints, and the wicked shall be silent in darkness, for by strength shall no man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Out of heaven shall he thunder upon them. The Lord shall judge the ends of the earth. And he shall give strength unto his king. And exalt the horn of his anointed. Now in this conclusion to the psalm. God stands out here. In relation to three groups. First of all he stands in relation to the saints. Verse 9. He will keep the feet of his saints. And then he stands in relation to the wicked. The wicked shall be silent in darkness. For by strength shall no man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Out of heaven shall he thunder upon them. The Lord shall judge the ends of the earth. So he destroys his adversaries. This he does at the end of the world, especially when he judges the earth. And out of heaven, as the Lord comes back again, he thunders in all his majesty and glory. And then... In relation to his Christ, his King, at the end of verse 10, and he shall give strength unto his King and exalt the horn of his anointed. He keeps his saints, he destroys his adversaries, he exalts and magnifies his Christ. I want to consider with you the first part, verse 9. He will keep the feet of his saints. There are two things in this expression. First of all, there is a description of his people, his saints. And then there is, secondly, his keeping of their feet. So we have to think about the feet of the saints And God's keeping of them. But first of all this name for God's people. Believers are called his saints. And there are two things here. There is first of all the pronoun. His saints. They belong to him. The Lord owns them. He possesses them. They are not only his property, his possession, his portion, but his responsibility to keep. And how did God get this people, these saints? And who are they? This is a reference to men. We have to ask, well, how does God in a fallen world have saints among such sinners? Does not the Bible say all have sinned? All have come short of the glory of God? In Adam all die. 
Man was driven from the garden. Humanity was exiled. And mankind turned their back on God. How did he have saints then? It is a reference not to all men, but to that body of men that somehow he has obtained. That somehow through his power and grace has made saints. It's not that they're saints by nature. Somehow he has this property of men changing them and transforming them and making them saints. How has he done this? And of course you know, as believers who have the New Testament scriptures, he has redeemed them. They were lost. He sought them out amongst lost humankind and he found them and he formed a people for himself. And he calls them his saints. How did he do this? And we all know. It was in Christ wasn't it? The seed of the woman. God is going to send the seed of the woman. And this seed of the woman is going to redeem humankind. This seed of the woman is going to form a people. Out of the mass of fallen humanity. Form a people for himself. He did this. In the last Adam, in Jesus Christ, as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all are made alive. So God has saved them, having purchased them in the blood of his son Jesus Christ. But you say, how does he have saints in the Old Testament? How does he keep the feet of the saints in the Old Testament when Christ hasn't come? He hasn't died yet whenever Hannah sings this. And she evidently includes herself among these saints. Her feet have been kept from Penina and from the adversaries and from all the struggles and trials of life that nearly overwhelmed her. She's a saint who has been kept. And yet the seed of the woman has not yet come. How can there be saints in the Old Testament? We can understand why there would be saints in the New Testament. Because Christ has come. Christ has died. Christ has risen. And has redeemed his people. So how are there saints in Hannah's time? And how is she a saint? When they're still waiting for the seed of the woman to come. How is there saints then in the Old Testament? And the answer is, there is a covenant. A covenant. And God saves on the basis of the covenant. Which Christ has not yet ratified by his blood. Hasn't made the new covenant because he hasn't been incarnate and hasn't died. But the administration of the covenant is still taking place in the Old Testament. And people are being saved on the basis of it. Because Christ is the covenant himself. A covenant that Christ will ratify and seal and complete. And the Father knows that he will do that. The Father knows that his anointed will come and finish the work. The Father knows that the blood will be shed. 
the blood of the everlasting covenant will be shed. And on the basis of the blood of the everlasting covenant, they are his saints, even though it is not yet shed. But God the Father takes it as shed because the covenant is unbreakable. It's sure. It's the sure mercies of David. And God gets saints in the Old Testament. People in the Old Testament had their sins forgiven. People in the Old Testament were redeemed. God has a forgiven people even then. Didn't the Psalms and the Bible tell us that? There is forgiveness with thee. There's not forgiveness all of a sudden when Christ comes. No, there's forgiveness with thee now. They're saved by promise. They are forgiven by promise. And the promises are secure in the Son of God. And in the fullness of time, when he comes, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that are under the law, he will do it in its historical actuality in the days of his flesh. But the Father accepts the covenant. And he knows that Christ will not fail. The covenant of redemption. And so saints in the Old Testament too. The feet of his saints. They are his property. By redemption. By the seed of the woman. By the everlasting covenant. Now the second thing is. They're not only God's property. His. But they are saints. That's the name that Hannah gives. And by saints. Is meant holy ones. However, when you read of the word in the plural, as it is here, you must first think of the word in the singular. So every time you see the word plural in saints, you think first of all of the the saint. The holy one. There are holy ones Because there is a Holy One. There are seed to Abraham because there is the seed. There is a body of saints because there is a head of saints. Jesus Christ, the seed of the woman, the last Adam. So there are only saints innocent. And through a saint. And that saint is Jesus Christ. The Holy One. He keeps the feet of his Holy Ones. And he does that because of the Holy One. That they are in relationship with. In union to. In covenant in Christ. So there are no saints of God. Without Messiah. Without this exalted one that she goes on to sing about. This anointed one. This king. There are no saints without a priest king. Without the one ascended up on high. The exalted one. And that's true even in the Old Testament you know. It is only on the ground of the covenant of grace. The divine covenant. That any can come to God or 
be owned by God or be redeemed by God and be his people. So always think of Christ when you think of saints. The saint. The holy one. Just like when you think of Christians, you think of Christ. You're Christians because of Christ. And you're saints because of the Holy One. You see, before this verse, this word had only ever once occurred. And that's in Deuteronomy 33, verse 8. And it occurs there in the singular. Of Levi, he said, let thy thummim and thy urim, these are the the, the oracles, the, the special items that bestow and reveal the will of God in the priestly ephod that the high priest possesses. So the reference here is to the high priest. Let thy thummim and thy urim be with thy holy one. The high priest is the holy one. The high priest is the saint. And he pictures the true holy one, the true high priest, the one who truly makes us saints unto God. He pictures Jesus Christ. So we can only be saints in and through God's holy one. The one who brings us near to God and the one who reveals to us the will and the mind of God, Christ. So we're only saints in and through Christ. So never think of this word without thinking of your union to the Holy One. You're not holy in yourself. You're not a saint in yourself. You're only a saint in Christ. In the Holy One. In your union to Him. He makes us holy. He washes us. He makes us righteous. He makes us accepted. Not surprisingly then. This word is used of Christ. In the singular. You have it for example in Psalm 16 verse 10. A messianic psalm. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one. And that's the same word. Thou wilt not suffer thy saint to see corruption. He'll die. He'll die for sin. He will be laid in the tomb. But it will not be possible for him to be held of death. This holy one cannot be held of death. God will not suffer his saint to see corruption. And Peter quoted this and he referred it to Christ and the New Testament does that. Psalm 16 is a messianic psalm. So in the singular the word makes us think of Christ. The Holy One. Because he didn't see corruption but rose again from the dead. The Holy One we who have been baptized into him, who have union to Christ, we rise with him. We're saints rising with him. You're only a saint in your believing in Jesus Christ and your trusting in Christ. So God has these saints because of their faith in the Holy One. 
You remember the demon-possessed man in the synagogue at Capernaum? Let us alone, the demons are saying. What are we to do with you, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Are you come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One, the Holy One of God. Psalm 50, verse 5, God says, gather my saints together. Oh, that's what God will always do. He'll gather his saints together. He gathers them together every Lord's Day and all the meetings in the church. He gathers them together whenever he comes back again at the end of the world. He gathers them together to be forever with the Lord. All the saints he aims to gather together. How do you know the saints? What does the verse say? Gather my saints together unto me. Those that have made a covenant with me. By sacrifice. They're in covenant. They're in covenant on the basis of a sacrifice. Because of the blood. This is my blood which is shed for you for the remission of your sins. And they believe in Jesus. And they are his covenant people. We, we could even, I suppose, paraphrase this expression of Hannah's. He will keep the feet of his covenant ones. You must know then, it is because you belong to Jesus that you are a saint child of God. Not because you're specially good. The title is the property of all that believe too. We have to say that, don't we? Because Paul, for example, he wrote, and Timotheus, he wrote to the Philippians and he said, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, Known and identified by their faith in Christ. And notice they're, they're saints in Christ. To all the saints in Christ Jesus. In him. So, so you can't think of this saint word business without your union to the Holy One, to Christ, to the anointed. So I say again, you never think of this word in the plural until you think of him who owns it in the singular, the saint of saints, the Holy One himself, who as our elder brother, as our living head, makes us his saints with him. So in this description of God's people then, we see that we ought to reflect that, don't we, too, in our life. Because while we're holy ones in our union to Christ, it is nice and proper and God-glorifying that that is reflected out of our life in some way and that we appear as saints and we look as if we're holy. And so we have to have clean lives and upright lives and righteous lives, Christ-like lives, so that it may be seen that we are saints. We are saved to be like him. Holy. Be ye holy. For I am holy. So he saves us unto holiness. So, so much for the name then. The second thing is the keeping of the feet of his saints. The Lord keeps his people. They are all in his hand. And he preserves them. 
He keeps the saints. Remember the Savior said, I give unto my sheep, I give them eternal life. They'll never perish. Nobody will pluck them out of my hand. My Father has given them to me. He's greater than all. Nobody will pluck them out of the hand of my Father. He keeps his people. Keeps his saints. Kept, Peter says, by the power of God unto salvation through faith. So just as they are saints in Christ Jesus, so also are they preserved in Christ Jesus, preserved in Christ Jesus, preserved in the saint of saints himself. Now this is a very important aspect of the Reformed faith, of course, as you know, the preservation of the saints. This is a proof text for that Reformed doctrine. Here you have it stated in as plain words as you could possibly hear. He shall keep the feet of the saints. It is not he, he keeps some of them. He lets some of their feet slip and fall and perish. He lets a few fall away. If they don't maintain and keep themselves, that's not found in the text. He keeps their feet. And that's a very definite part of the human anatomy. Their feet. That's the part that would walk away from God if they were allowed. But he keeps their feet. They're not going to be walking away from God. He keeps their feet. He doesn't just keep them. He keeps the members of movement and motion that carry out the volition of those things. He keeps them. That is very specific language. This is very important. The feet are for walking and standing. The feet give stability. The feet make progress. It's not preserves them, though they depart and backslide and turn against the Lord and you know, he still brings them to heaven. No, no, that's not what is taught here. He keeps their feet so they don't pass the size and turn away and go the road to hell. He keeps their feet. Keeps them in the right direction so they don't turn against the Lord. He keeps their stability. He keeps them sound. He keeps them progressing. He keeps them walking. And it's not in vain that the Holy Spirit gives us the focus on, on those members of the human body, the feet. And again, we have to first think of Christ, the Holy One, the chief saint, the saint of saints, because the Lord kept his Holy One, his anointed. He kept his Christ. Now, do you remember where the first image of the foot appears in the Bible. It's in the first promise, isn't it? It's about Satan and the seed of the woman. I'll put Emily between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head. The seed of the woman will bruise your head, Satan. And thou, Satan, will bruise his heel. His heel. The rear part of his foot. So the Saviour's foot is going to be attacked as is our feet. Because what is serpent? Isn't he the one who crawls along in the dust? Isn't he the one who has his face to the dust? And so he goes for the feet. The serpent goes for the feet. 
He goes for the feet of the saints. They're raised in Christ. But their feet are still walking on the earth. Still trampling through the dust. Need to be washed every day of the feet. And that's what the devil aims at. The feet you see. Their walk. Their progress. Their stability. And the Savior's foot was attacked. Indeed it was bruised. By Satan. And we know that the Lord will suffer. At the hands of Satan. And he will suffer for sin. And he'll feel the agony and the pain. Because to be bitten by a serpent is very, very painful. And he'll feel the agony and the pain. But his walk will not be affected. His stability will not be affected. He won't sin. He won't fall. He won't depart. He will win the victory because he crushes the serpent's head. He doesn't fall. He crushes the serpent's head. He still maintains his stability. Though his foot is attacked. And we know that Christ died. But he will die and rise again as we know he did. The conqueror who is preserved in life and preserved in death. Kept in life and kept in death so that the Holy One sees no corruption and his feet are kept so that he never sins and he rises again and he's the conqueror and the victor. The Holy One has been kept and we are kept in him and through him. Preserved in Christ Jesus. With the same preservation that preserved him. We have the same union. We have the same preservation. It's true of Christ and it's true of the saints. This keeping. Psalm 16 comes in here again. Thou will not leave my soul in hell. Neither will thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Not left in hell. Not destroyed. Not corrupted and decayed. But kept. Preserved. I draw your attention to the previous verses of this psalm of exaltation. What does it say there in verse 8? He raiseth up the poor out of the dust. The dust. You see, that, that's where we were when the Lord found us. We, we were in the place of serpents in the dust. We, we, we just didn't have our feet in them. But we were let, lying down face first, first in the dust. He raises them up out of the dust to make them saints. But they still have to live in the world. And their feet have to pass through the dust and walk on in the dust. But he raises us out of the dust. But to raise us out of the dust, the Lord had to walk in the dust. He had to be incarnate. He had to take a body. He had to take feet. He had to walk in this world. Even the dust of this world. He had to walk where Satan crawled. He had to have that experience in the wilderness. In the trial of Satan's temptation. Christ has put his feet among us for our salvation. He identifies with sin. He identifies with the curse. He bears sin and he bears the curse. He puts his heel where Satan bruises it for us. But the Father keeps the Son. And the Son maintains his walk of sinlessness through it all. And because Christ lives, we live in him and through him.
He is preserved through death, and so shall his saints. We shall rise again from the dead. Even in death, our feet are kept. So in the temptation of Christ, Satan drew attention to the feet of Christ. We read Psalm 91. The devil took him up into a high mountain, you remember? He set him on the pinnacle of the temple. He said, cast yourself down if you're the son of God. You know that Psalm 91 that's all about you, Jesus? He'll give his angels charge over you. And in their hands they'll, they'll carry you up. Lest at any time you dash your foot against the stone. Your foot against the stone. Your, your, feet, your foot won't be dashed against the stone. He preserveth the feet of the saints. The angels will bear you up so that your foot will not be crushed. So he reminds Christ has promised his foot would be kept. But of course the devil misapplied it. And he quoted it out of context. And he certainly didn't quote it all to Jesus. So Satan, you know, he's, he's quite a Bible scholar in some ways. He knows that Psalm 91 is messianic. However, the feet of the Lord are not kept in a way of wrongdoing. That's not what that psalm means. It's wrong to cast oneself down from a pinnacle like that and tempt God. The Father will keep Christ's foot in a way of righteousness. So as I said, the devil was careful not to quote the rest of the psalm, which goes, Thou shalt tread. This is your feet. This is what the Father's telling his son, which the devil didn't tell him. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the otter. The young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample under feet. The very word occurs in the psalm. Under the feet of Messiah you'll trample Satan, you'll trample the dragon. Christ knew that. So he quoted the rest of the psalm in his own mind and heart. He knew what was the will of God. His feet were kept. And he knew what he was going to do with his feet. He was just going to tramp his feet on the devil's head. This, of course, while it is true of Christ the head, it is also true of Christ's body, the church, the body of the saints. We also bruise Satan under our feet. And the Lord will keep our feet, the feet of the saints, all of them. He preserves our walk. He keeps us from utterly falling. And as I said, that's what Hannah found. She, she discovered that. That's, that's what she experienced. The Lord preserved her. That's how Samuel the, the lamb survived amongst all the wolves in the tabernacle. He keepeth the feet of the saints. She, that's why she's saying it. She's leaving Samuel at that dangerous place. He keeps the feet of the saints. And my son Samuel will be the same. She has this confidence. Now, of course, this doesn't absolve us of our own responsibility to keep our own feet. We have to be active in this too, don't we? We have a responsibility. We have will and volition. We're not robots and the Lord just keeps our robotic feet somehow going. No, we have to keep them ourselves. Because the Lord has given us will. And so the commandment of God says, keep your foot. Keep your foot when you go to the house of God especially. Be ready to hear. Don't be walking around giving the sacrifice of fools. Keep your foot. 
We study Psalm 119, and there's so many references to the human body there, and the feet are included. I have refrained my feet from every evil way. I kept my feet. I thought upon my ways, and I turned my feet unto thy testimonies. I made haste, I run, to keep the way of your commandments. He uses his feet. My son, walk not thou in the way with them, with the wicked. Refrain thy foot, keep your foot from their path. So so we have to keep our own feet too. And this is why God, when he supplies us with the Christian armor, there is something for the feet, isn't there? And that's one of the ways that he keeps the feet. He gives us the Christian armor. And he gives us shoes for our feet. And so Paul says, Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That's what keeps your feet. That's what covers them up. In the deadly place. The preparation. The preparedness. That the gospel of peace. Brings. Thy shoes shall be brass. And iron. And as thy day. So shall thy strength be. That's what God promises. You remember whenever the prodigal got back. What what did the, the father give him? He gave him many things. But he put shoes. On his feet. He doesn't want them feet going off again. He wants those feet to be shod, kept and preserved. And the Lord gives us shoes, brethren and sisters. And it's because of the Lord's shoes that he provides that we feel uncomfortable whenever we go astray. That we lose our peace when we go a wrong direction. Just like whenever you get a something in your foot, and it's sore and it's uncomfortable and you're so you're not happy walking you, you can't progress you have to stop and you have to take it out and sort it out so whenever we go astray there's something about these feet these shoes that make you feel unhappy you lose the peace the comfort and the joy and you know there's something wrong the Lord's keeping your feet he's keeping you from going to a wrong place He's keeping you from doing something wrong. And you should know things are not right. So a walk away from God brings trouble of mind and of heart. And so God causes our shoes of armor to send pain to the conscience when we do wrong. This is how he keeps our feet. It is true that we do stray, brethren and sisters, and our feet do go wrong at times. Even the psalmist David said that I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek thy servant. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way. So the keeping includes washing the feet and cleansing the feet every day. At times Satan succeeds then in, in fouling them. But the Lord washes us and he Cleanses the infection of sin. They that are washed need not but to wash their feet, the Lord said. And that He keeps their feet in that way by providing the labor of washing for them. When we confess our sins every day, you remember the upper room? 
For the Lord washed the feet of his saints. We still gather dust. We're still in the world. No saint can ever walk so as never to get dusty feet. But the Lord keeps. And he keeps on washing their feet. And he preserves their feet. By means of daily washing. So you don't despair if you fall. That's what I'm saying. This doesn't mean that they shall never fall when he says he keeps their feet. It means they shall not utterly fall. That's what it means. As the Bible says, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not utterly be cast down. That's that's the thing, you see. For the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. Whenever I said, my foot slippeth, Thy mercy, O Lord, held me up. So the Lord then will keep you, child of God, as you keep looking to him. That's what you have to do. You keep looking to him. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep asking him to wash your feet. Keep confessing your sins. So he keeps you. He keeps you by his word. He, he keeps you through the ministry of the word. A very, very vital element in, in the keeping of your feet. He keeps you by his Holy Spirit. He keeps you by the prayers of your fellow saints. All of these things are working together. And this is how God keeps keeps the feet of the saints. And he keeps you by Christian fellowship in his house. And in providence too. He marvelously keeps your feet. You remember David was, was on his way to massacre Nabal and the house of Nabal. Because... He wouldn't give the servants some food at a time of festivity and kindness. And he was really angry. He was going to exterminate every male in the house. He was on his way. But that wise woman, Abigail, she fell out of state and kept his feet from doing that. She kept his feet, or the Lord kept his feet by means of Abigail. So he keeps you from danger and from gross sin and from terrible accidents and harms unless it's his will of course. Here's a promise for you to claim every day as you go out, as you go about the master's business pray it often, Lord keep my feet today. Psalm 121 we sung it lately I to the hills will lift mine eyes from whence doth come my need My safety cometh from the Lord, who heaven and earth hath made. Thy foot he'll not let slide, nor will he slumber that thee keeps. Behold, he that keeps Israel, he slumbers not nor sleeps. So look to him, and bless your Lord that keeps you. For it is unfailingly true. He will keep the feet of his saints.